from Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 467. Today's show is brought to you by Express, VPN, and Fitbod. My name is Mike Hurley. I'm joined by Jason Snell. Hi, Jason Snell. Hi, Mike Hurley. It's good to be here. As always, I have a Snell Talk question for you. It comes from John. Okay. John wants to know, Jason, how long have you enjoyed football? And when did you realize or decide that you were an Arsenal fan? You know, in our document, it says football slash soccer, and you wouldn't, decided not wouldn't to. Wouldn't allow myself uh, to say it. I figured you would do it, soccer, like soccer. you just did, a word, and I decided not a to word, do it. A um, word from England, short for association football. Doesn't make a difference and to me. Therefore, a perfectly valid word that you could use to describe this sport. Yep. Decided not to. Un-American football. Mm-hmm. The answer is is lost in the mist of time, but well, I would you know, say Jason, it's... Upgrade Plus listeners from last week will know that I'm an American citizen now. Yes. Well, as bestowed upon by me. Uh-huh. So go to getupgradeplus.com. <laughs> I could tell you that um, the... So Nick Hornby is one of my favorite writers. He wrote uh, High Fidelity, uh, but he's not a one-hit wonder. He's written lots of other great books, including Fever Pitch, a... Yes. Basically a... a, a a, a nonfiction, it's like an autobiography. It is, I th- I'm sure I've mentioned it here before, it is the single best explanation of the uh, psychology of a sports fan I think you'll ever read. It's a wonderful book. Nick Hornby is an obsessed Arsenal fan. And the book, which is the most unlikely book to have ever been made into a movie, it's been made into two. <laughs> what? Um, the, the American version is about the Boston Red Sox. Um, but, uh, the book is great and, um, he's an Arsenal fan and I was, uh, list, you know, I'm reading along and I'm just like, oh, this is very interesting. I'm learning things about soccer. And then if I'm going to be exposed to the premier league at that point, which was coming on TV more and more in the U S in the late 20, late two thousands, I want to say, um, mid to late 2000s, more and more on TV. Well, one team I've heard about, and I know some of their history, and I know about their long-suffering fans. So I started to pay attention to Arsenal. That's the only reason. So it's Nick. blame Nick Hornby. He lives in North London. I've walked past his house. <laughs> My friend Simon lives right across the street from the Arsenal uh, stadium and uh, right around the block from Nick Hornby's house. Mm-hmm. When I walked by, somebody was uh, delivering a pizza. I guess Nick Hornby wanted a pizza. Anyway, uh, he's a great writer. His fiction is amazing. His music uh, essays are great. And that and Fever Pitch is a wonderful book. So um, really, that was it. It's Nick Hornby's fault that I'm a fan of Arsenal, which I came in right after they were incredibly successful and uh, have watched them you know, finish various places between second and eighth over the course of 15 years. But um, uh, they had a great season this season. I loved it. I had a good time. In the, in the, they famously, for those who don't care about sports, they famously led the longest, led the league for the longest of any team to ever not win the league. But Manchester City was behind them the whole time and everybody knew what was going to happen. And then it happened because everybody knew Manchester City was going to win because they're a team made up entirely of Frankenstein monsters. And uh, it was a great season and it was a fun ride because I think in the end, sport is entertainment. Yep. And people who get really angry about their team not winning the championship every year, I think are deeply misguided. And that what you need to do is have a little bit of perspective. Like uh, my team and your team, Mike, the San Francisco Giants baseball yes. team. Let's go Giants. Um, 
They won 107 games a couple years ago, which is a, that's a lot, Mike. That's a, a very lot. And they won Sounds their like division. And then they lost in the playoffs. And you know what? The, losing the playoffs was sad, but it doesn't take away from what a wonderful year that was. That was the most fun uh, full-on baseball season I'd had in a long time. And uh, I'm just looking to be entertained. I, yep. I, I don't have to become a, a monster who's like, if they didn't win everything, it's a failure. It's like Arsenal had a great year, too. So anyway, long story short, blame Nick Hornby uh, or you know, order a pizza and have it sent to his house. It's like, you know, I agree with you on the sport thing. I'm a Mercedes fan. I'm a McLaren fan in Formula One, mostly Mercedes. It's a tough time to be a Mercedes fan. Okay. You know, things, right. things it, are rough. I had a right moment now. there where I was, I was wondering why you liked German cars. Well, the, the British team. But teams. that's not what you mean. You meant Formula One. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I'm a Mercedes fan. And uh, it's a tough time to be a Mercedes fan, but that's just how it is. And now I will revel in when they can just get on the podium or they can get even midway. It's like, oh, this is fantastic. It's as exciting to me as when they would win. So that's that's sport. Sport is entertainment and nothing is guaranteed. You you and Adina and Lauren and I went to a Giants game. Yes. When you were out here. And mm-hmm. we had a great time. And great time. you guys are now Giants fans. Go Giants. You, we saw a great game. The Giants scored like 13 runs. There was a splash hit. It was amazing. The next game we went to, um, Lauren and I went on the 4th of July. It was uh, a terrible game. The Giants uh, got like a, a couple of hits. The pitcher on the other team basically pitched the entire game and shut out the Giants, and it was awful. And then we just went yesterday, and it was one nothing, and the Giants won, and they hit a home run, and their best pitcher pitched his best game maybe of his career, and it was very exciting. The fact is, buying a ticket and going, you never know what you're going to get. Sometimes oh. it's good, sometimes it's bad. That's the that's it's that's if you if you want a guaranteed good time, don't go to sports. <laughs> If you would like to send in a question for us to open a future episode of the show, just go to UpgradeFeedback.com and send in a Snell Talk question of your own right there. We have some follow-up, Jason Snell. Uh First comes from Steve today, who writes in to say, Regarding fitness apps on the Vision Pro, do you think that only a restricted set of kinds of exercises could be approved via App Store review? Or do you think that any common VR fitness app would be. For example, something like stationary biking or stretching could be okay, but what about something more active like boxing? I see Apple being concerned about videos or reports of the headset flying off and breaking, then people seeking replacements of something that is highly expensive and highly constrained. Um, I don't know what to say to this. What Apple does, it's like a- asking me what the app store... <laughs> Rules are going well, to be. What do you think, though? Do you, do you think that, I just, that there could well, be something is, around restrictions I mean, on the types Apple of exercises? Do, Apple could do whatever they want. Um, I think it's possible that Apple will say that certain kinds of movements are not advised. And if they do that, then they would reject apps that try to do those things. It's possible. It's possible that they, they won't care. Mm. Um, you know... I don't know. We'll we'll see. The 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 confabulating a sort of like videos of the headset flying off and breaking like well that's going to happen anyway. Yes. But yeah, if they if they were really concerned and honestly, I don't think it saves them to reject uh, an app that would have helped the headset fly off and break because if Apple's headsets are flying off and breaking, uh it's always going to be Apple's fault, right? It's always yeah, going to be Apple's matter. fault. Yeah, one way it, or another. So the Apple needs to make sure that that doesn't happen regardless right because of moving things around so i i think it's a I, I am not willing to go down the path of a hypothetical where uh 
Apple ends up in a situation where everybody's downloading this app that is making people make motions that break the headset. Oh no, what do we do? Like, I don't know. That seems unlikely. I, I think it is possible that there will be certain certain sort of uh, features or types of apps that Apple will say, we're not comfortable with that on our platform because they do that. But I have a hard time imagining to take the other extreme that Apple's going to say, no, anything that could remark, that could even a little bit raise your heart rate is not going to be allowed on this device. I have a hard time believing that too. So where I don't know where it'll end up. I, I think it's more likely that it will be things in the operating system that preclude this stuff, right? Like we know that there are, are that pure virtual environments, they want uh, they want you to be still <laughs> yeah. um, and not move around. So, you know, and in AR environments, there's a question of like, will they approve it if there's AR boxing? Well, I don't know. I mean, probably, I would think. I'm not quite sure of a scenario where AR boxing gets you gets the headset thrown off of you because it's not a real boxer hitting you in the headset. But I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I think the only potential thing that I've seen is in the human interface guidelines. Um, These aren't the rules, right? These are just like the best practices. Uh, But one thing that they've said is avoid displaying motion that is overwhelming, jarring, too fast, uh, like and th- prioritizing comfort, helping people stay comfortable and physically relaxed. Mm. Like they they're focusing a lot on that kind of thing. I feel like they're like really encouraging you to maybe not move around too much. But I haven't. Right. I have yet to find a particular rule of like we will allow this, but not this. Maybe, but I don't. I'm not sure. Like, and I I think really they would have to come out sooner rather than later if they're going to be like no fitness applications on this device. Yeah. Even if they're not the ones to do it, people are still going to want to make them. Right, right. Even if they're not, like Beat Saber is not explicitly a fitness app, but I know people do it to get their aerobic exercise. I know they do. And so if you're Apple, short of what you just described, a version of that, which is essentially, don't get excited. This is a calming product. It's not meant to be exciting. Movies that raise your heart rate will also be banned, right? Like mm-hmm. it, they're not gonna they're not gonna do that. So I, I'm not I'm not too worried about it. But yeah, it is definitely they have some level of control of what goes on the device because they control the app store. I get it. I feel like they're gonna probably take a light touch with that. Yeah, I feel like that there will be types of apps that they won't allow. Right? That's just gonna be natural. Um, but I, like you, I, I don't imagine them not a- allowing some kind of application because they think that people might drop their devices or whatever, because I, like, I think if they're going to try and restrict in any way apps that require some kind of movement, it's just about a non-confidence in the technology's ability to handle that more than anything else exactly that, that that whatever imagery is going on and moving in the in the ar space they're uncomfortable with the ability of the device to keep up yeah or something like that that could be uh apple is going to be streaming the first episode of foundation for free on youtube hmm. ahead of the season two premiere i tried to add this in as follow-up for last time with the silo on twitter well now foundation right. is going to be free on youtube on YouTube. And then this is the, I mentioned that like uh, Paramount had put the whole first season of Strange New Worlds on yep. YouTube for a limited time. It's the same idea. Like, give you a little taste. Hope you fall, you know, get intrigued and then follow on and then you get the whole first season and then season two. So, yeah. that lo- I'm looking forward. I think Foundation has gotten um, beaten up because it's so expensive. Um, 
which I mean, who cares? Honestly, yeah, on one level, it is. I I hear people describing it like it's terrible. First off, it's beautiful. You actually can see every dollar that they spend. It looks great. Um, and I liked it. I didn't love it, but like, is that the bar that if you don't, if you don't absolutely love it, you should destroy it? I don't know. I don't understand the hate for that show. I think it's actually um, good, not great, but good. And I will absolutely watch season two. So, yeah, I've avoided it, like not like actively, but like I haven't. Well, yeah, it feels like it might be a touch too hard sci-fi for me. I mean, I don't think it is okay. actually, but okay. um, but it definitely has you know big. It has some big sci-fi ideas in it, but as always, they're really trying to make it about the about the characters, right? right? In the end, it's it's about the characters. Uh, test flight submissions are now open for Vision OS apps, which is just a very funny thing that has occurred. Mm. <laughs> like it's interesting this year. Test flight seems much more together than normal. You know, like I, yeah. I, I know from previous years, like developers have things they want to submit so people can test on the betas and it's like months into the cycle when they allow for that to occur it started basically immediately with ios um and probably mac os too that like you could submit as a developer for test flights so people could test things it is very funny to me the idea of people being able to submit test flights of vision os apps when no one can try them now my question would be are they maybe getting ahead of the suggested July dates for developer kits and also for allowing maybe for the the developer sessions that they're doing where people can mm-hmm. go to Apple. Maybe if you have it in test flight, it's just an easier way to get the app onto that hardware. Yeah. You might even be asked to provide a test flight invitation yeah. so that your app can be on like the pre-loaded. device. Yeah. So maybe this is Makes why they're sense. doing that, rather than making it like a thing where they have to manage builds directly, like to and throw, especially right. if they're going to be trying to scale these things up. But right. yeah, also but, if, if developer kits are going to start rolling out soon, test flights needed. Yeah, and that, that would allow different developers to look at uh, different developers' apps, which yeah. is interesting too. Yeah. Oh yeah, that could be interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Like if, if I was a developer and you were a developer, I could give you a test flight for my app and you could try it. That would be really mm-hmm. great. Sure. Thank you, Mike. That's very kind of you to say that you would share your app with me. Oh, and I want to see your app. We're, we're okay. We're just trying to build. Oh, really? Good apps I mean, here, it's you know? just I'm not really okay. All right. No, you can see it. It's fine. Oh, you you want you got some be trade gentle. secrets. I'm a little I'm a little reluctant. I don't want well, no, I just I don't know how good it is. I'm just you got some trade secrets. Down on myself as a as a Vision OS developer right now, but no, I want your feedback. I do. Okay. Speaking of feedback, you have some follow out. I do have some follow out. Um, couple of things. Uh, I listened to ATP uh, 542 last week. I uh, had some comments there. And of course, uh, Monica Chen at The Verge wrote a story about like the Apple Mac Pro M2 Ultra. Who is using it? They're all using laptops instead. And I just, as I was listening to, and it's not just this episode of ATP, but it's lots of conversation about the, the Mac Pro. I wanted, I, I feel like maybe I could provide a short summary of what's going on with the Mac Pro. So I, I thought I would attempt it here. Mm-hmm. Here's my attempt at a Mac Pro summary. The Mac Pro for Apple Silicon was intended to have a quad chip M2. For whatever reason, Mark Gurman reported on this, they couldn't make it work or they decided not to make it work or they decided to kick it down the road. And so they really want, they didn't have the chip they were going to put in it and they really wanted to complete the, the Apple Silicon transition. So they put the same chip that's in the, Ultra in the Mac Pro. 
I don't think it says anything about the future of the Mac Pro. I think it's a product that they didn't really choose to ship, but they felt they needed to ship something. I would actually be very surprised if there weren't a quad chip in the M3 or M4 generation. I think that that was always the plan, is to have this be something more than the Mac Studio. And I think that's still the plan. So I wouldn't get too caught up in the rest of it because I think the most important thing based on the reporting of Mark, Bl- Mark Bloomberg, which is not his name, Mark Gurman and Bloomberg, we've shortened it to M. Bloomberg now. Um, <laughs> according to M- MB, uh, it's, a, it, it's just, it's a, the, the chip didn't go, the chip didn't work. And so they pushed, they kicked it down the road, but they had to ship something because they really wanted to get that Intel Mac Pro off the price list. That's it. I think I feel like that answers lots of questions about why this product exists. If you believe Olembi's uh, reporting, I've got to say it's a good take, Sheriff MB. I hadn't considered that, but that is a good take. It's not that like they have changed course on the Mac Pro, but just for the M2, they just could not get the M2 Extreme yeah. out the door. I mean, I can, I, like I can. A little, su- a little sub note to that would be. Apple doesn't have to have every product for every person. And if Apple decides that there are certain areas of the market that they don't they don't want to serve or they yeah. can't really serve well with their hardware, they just won't. And as a critic of Apple, you can say, I think that this sub-market is important and they shouldn't abandon it. But I have, over the last, you know, whatever, 20 years, definitely seen that happen where Apple just turns their back on a market. And people are in the market are very upset about it, understandably. But... Apple as a company is doing pretty well, right? And a lot of these markets are very niche markets. And it's not unreasonable from a business standpoint to look at it and say, I understand why they might not prioritize that. Uh, I, I think it's actually a good sign for the future of Mac Pro for people who care about it, that they're still making it and that they still shipped it, even though, according to Sheriff German, they didn't have the chip that they were going to put in it. But I choose to believe that they actually do want to do a quad chip M series processor because think of all the cores and think of all the GPU cores and CPU cores and memory and like, wow, wouldn't that be something? I think that that's probably still something that they want to do, um, you know, unless we hear reports otherwise and that the Mac Pro is the place to put it, but they, they couldn't get it there this time. And so what we end up with is something that's a compromise. And I get that it's disappointing, but I think that the simplest, it's that, it's that Sherlock Holmes thing. You eliminate all the other things and the simplest answer, you know, no matter how unreasonable, okay, let's say Occam's Razor instead. Forget about Sherlock Holmes. It's Occam's Razor. The simplest example is it's a, it was made for the quad chip. They didn't have it. So they shipped it with a, a dual chip and shrug and move on uh, and come back to it later. So I think that's pretty simple, but that's, that's my answer. It's like the short mm-hmm. version, I think, is the real version, which is they didn't get that chip, so they made do. I mean, I, I have a shorter, less charitable version, <laughs> which I know will upset people, which is just like the Mac Pro is not important anymore. It just isn't, and you got to let go. I, you just got to let go. I, I, Please also, let yeah, go. I mean, it, it's true. It's the least important Mac. <laughs> and there are people out there who will argue it's the most important Mac. It's the least important no, Mac. It, it really is. It, it, it's I doesn't, understand not that the it, dream idea, right? I get it. Like, I, I understand it. the idea, but at this point, the Mac was pushed forward by the iPhone, right? Yeah. Like, so can we argue maybe the iPhone is the most important thing, which then led to the current Apple Silicon chips that we have? Like, yeah. the Mac Pro is not leading anything for Apple anymore, no matter what you do to it. 
everything funnels it, up, they not will, down. Yeah. Now. And the bottom yeah, and the bottom line is the the Mac Pro that everybody is dreaming about will never exist. It will never exist. Even if they do the quad version of the M series chip, it's never gonna be what everybody wants because Apple is all of Apple's success. And Apple Silicon, sorry, this is becoming something, it's a TLDR with like 90 footnotes, but all of Apple's success on the Mac recently with Apple Silicon is based on the fact that they're using chips that evolved out of the iPhone chip. And it gets them all of that power efficiency. It gets them power, but, you know, low battery life, low power usage, you don't have to cool it as much. All of these things, the 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 memory is integrated, the GPUs are integrated, like all of those things are advantages that make the Mac a, a better than it's ever been. One of the trade-offs is that strategy doesn't work at the extreme high end. All you're the best you can hope for is put four of them together interconnected. And maybe they'll do that sometime. But if that isn't enough, like they're not going to do more than that. They're just not. There's no reason that, you know, arguably there's no reason for the Mac Pro to exist at all. But I think the reason it still exists is because they do want to make that quad version and have the thing that can go in recording studios. Well, here's so my I question to you. If they do that quad chip, would they put it in the Mac Studio too? I don't think they can. I don't think it would fit. I don't think, think it, it could fit? be cooled. Okay. I think it's huge. Okay. I, I think I think the Mac Studio was not big. made for that. Right. I, and that would be, again, a reason to have a giant Mac Pro case is that it would be, yeah, I'm not, I'm not convinced it would fit in there. I mean, maybe, but my, my initial thought was like, it's not made for that. Second little bit of follow-out, and this is this is more, um, I should say, Monica Chin's article is fun. It's basically anecdotes, but it's good anecdotes from people. And the, the, the you will not be surprised to know that the answer to the story is basically Apple's laptops are so good. The MacBook Pro is so good. The MacBook Pro 16 especially is mm-hmm. so great that a lot of the pros who used to use Mac Pros don't need to because they have a laptop that does everything they need. And it's a laptop so they can take it with them wherever they need to go well, and so that's the true story here right in your backpack right yeah yeah that's what i that's what i said that's yeah. what it is yeah so yeah um marco did a little thing about uh scrolling on the vision pro and he asked actually asked me about it there's this question about like scrolling on the vision pro and uh what is that how does that gesture feel because we have all gotten uh, i think really used to the fact that you're holding a device a phone or an ipad and you kind of scroll with your thumb idly and on the vision pro you're not resting your thumb against a surface and scrolling it you don't have that gesture instead you're just sitting with your your uh your hand in your lap and you put the finger and thumb together and then you and then you move to scroll and there's this question of like will that gesture be as comfortable and having used it and you've used it my thought was it probably will be fine, but it's all down to how subtle the gesture can be detected by the cameras on the Vision Pro. Because it's not that different if you've got your two fingers together and it's sitting in your lap or next to you and you're just kind of like rotating your wrist as if you're scrolling. If it can pick up that level of subtle detail, it's not really any different from scrolling something on uh, an iPhone or an iPad. If you've got to make some larger physical gestures in order to get the scrolling right, I could see how scrolling on a Vision Pro might be um, less delightful than it is on an iPhone or an iPad. But I've got to think that it's a high priority for Apple to get that to work. And that if they can't get the subtle gesture to work, I would think that they might even have some sort of other shortcut that lets you scroll or page down. But I think that they're going to be able to solve it 
just in watching your hand making a fairly subtle gesture. And I don't think that there's a uh, John went on ATP went on a, a like a whole level of like the chain of complexity of like oh and then if you if it's too big and too small and you can't and and I I I honestly I love John but I think he's overthinking it. We scroll on a trackpad in a very small space and it works just fine. And if they can get that same kind of gesture to work with your hand that's in your lap or next to you, it'll be fine. So my my impression was that it worked okay. Yeah. And that the only question is if if you try to do something subtle and it just can't pick that up because whatever for whatever reason the camera just can't detect that level of subtlety and turn it into a gesture then it might be an issue but it wasn't an issue for me when i was using it yeah i the jury is out for me on the comfortability of that gesture but realistically if i'm going to be scrolling long web pages i'm probably not going to be doing that anyway right like you're maybe more likely to do it with a trackpad at my desk or something than like to just like scroll 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 I would say that the subtlety is maybe not as important because the windows are so large that like a small movement would be much more of a movement than a small movement on an iPhone screen that like this idea of like if I want to move a little bit, I think that it's not going to be a tiny movement like you might do on an iPhone screen, right? Where the screen's way smaller. Right. But if you want to do a precision movement, that might be a different kind of gesture too, where you're, you're, you know, you're, you're making a very precise movement to move it just a little tiny bit versus just sort of like idly doom scrolling. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I'm, I'm not worried about the subtlety of it. I, all I'm worried about really, all the, the only question I have is the comfort of the gesture. Over time too, right? Because there's a you end up. We've all ended up with a, I think, a natural hand position for scrolling on an yeah. iPhone or an iPad that you can you can get in a very comfortable position where all you're really doing is just sort of like moving that thumb or whatever mm-hmm. and and scrolling. And when you don't have that device in your hand and it's just your hand all by itself, can you get it in a position ergonomically that allows you to very gently scroll through content without having it be that you're holding your arm out or up or whatever right that's the that's the question and we only had half an hour with it i would i would certainly hope that everybody at apple has been spending years already thinking about this and thinking about getting that nailing that good ergonomic gesture for uh idly scrolling through content yeah yeah because i i think it might be a little bit more of an arm movement right like in general and so i just wonder what potentially will will feel like Mm mm-hmm This episode is brought to you by ExpressVPN. You may have heard by now that you want to use a VPN when you're connecting to the internet, but adding in an extra step to anything every day can kind of feel like a hassle. Well, let me tell you how easy it is to protect your connection with ExpressVPN, and then you might say to yourself, hey, why am I not doing this already? ExpressVPN is the easiest way to browse safely, securely, and just better. ExpressVPN removes all the things that you already hate about VPNs because it's a VPN done right. It is blazing fast. Other VPNs may slow your connection to the point where it's not even worth trying to connect. But ExpressVPN doesn't lag or buffer. You can stream in HD with no issues. I have many times had ExpressVPN on and didn't even know. Like, this happens to me all the time. Like, I'll turn it on when I'm traveling. You know, I'm connecting to networks that I'm not sure about. Or I'm using ExpressVPN to connect uh, you know, via a different location so I can watch content that is otherwise for me at home but I can't access when I'm overseas. And I come home and I'm home for like a week. And I was like, oh, ExpressVPN is still on because it is super fast. And it's super easy. 
You just open the ExpressVPN app on my Mac. It just lives in my menu bar. Click one button and enjoy instant protection across your devices. And honestly, once you connect to ExpressVPN, you don't realize it's there. Your connection is secure, your data is encrypted, and you can spoof your location so you can have access to content available outside of the region you're in. This is no wonder it's been called the best VPN by CNET and others. Right now, go to expressvpn.com upgrade and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That is expressvpn.com upgrade to get three extra months of ExpressVPN. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for the support of this show and all of Relay FM. That is expressvpn.com slash upgrade. Rumor roundup time. Yeehaw. Got a couple of things from uh, Mark Bloomberg. Mm, no, no, it's just, uh, he just goes by MB now. Sheriff MB. MB. Sheriff MB had a Sheriff report. Mark uh, of, of Bloomberg, Marcus Mark. von Bloomberg. Sure, this is, we're expanding the law. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Gurman had a report last week on how Apple is going to be managing the purchasing experience for the Vision Pro. Uh, many of these things are stuff we would have assumed to be the case, but Mark says he's spoken to sources. Uh, I'm assuming inside of Apple Retail have been able to confirm some of this to him. Uh, Apple is planning to sell the device in all of their stores, but some select stores will get special areas created to handle the fitting process and appointments will be required for this. This is all very reminiscent of the Apple Watch as we, you know, Mm -hmm. as you remember, you could, I think, get an Apple Watch from basically any Apple store, but if you wanted to go and try it on, you had to book appointments and at first appointments were limited to, I think, their bigger stores or their flagship stores, you know, places where they maybe thought they would sell more or places where they had the space to dedicate, you know, a corner of the store to let you try on Apple Watches. Uh, There will be very limited number of demo units where there are demo units because there are going to be so few uh, Vision Pro sold. You know, it's like every Vision Pro that is a demo unit is three and a half thousand dollars. Apple is not making, <laughs> right? So they are going to be selling as many of these as they can. Um, yeah. Online sales are still going to be a thing, and there'll be some kind of face scanning feature, probably I reckon in the Apple Store app. This is what me and you experienced, right? Where they're f- trying to understand your fit uh, for the for the the, the light shield. Um, Mark is saying that international rollout is likely to not occur until the end of 2024, uh, starting in Canada and the UK. Tough times for me. Uh, Mm. Mark appears to indicate in his report that Apple stores will actually be carrying prescription lens options that you'll be able to buy. Yeah, interesting, right? Yeah. This is not what was expected. The power of Apple, I guess. Yeah. But he says that they'll have to have, you know, thousands. Yeah of them in order to keep the stock if they're mm-hmm. going to do it that way. But I get why they're motivated. They want you to walk out the door with the whole kit, with the whole thing up and running and ready to go. They don't want you going to their vision partner and having a crappy experience, right? right. They I want you to, to be case. able to, you've gotten the experience that they want for this whole thing. So. And I wonder what will they will do to make that happen legally in terms of, I don't know exactly what is required, if they will have a machine or if they'll have you bring a prescription with you or if they have like registered opticians on call so that they can, you know, look at your results, 
you know, from some remote location, look at your results and approve mm-hmm. it and put it through whatever they have to do to go through that. I'll also point out, we are a very long way from mm-hmm. these things being sold. So while this is the report of what they're planning right now, things can change, right? I mean, the product is still in development. So it's possible that they will get down the road here and they got to start working on it, right? Because it's going to happen. But they've... um they may change direction at any point between now and and release time. And it's probably going to change a ton, right? Like they might be like, oh, actually, we can't do the prescription lenses or, oh, you know what? We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Like there is going to be a lot of change in this. Or we don't have enough units and we're going to do it. sell in five stores. (laughs) Yeah. Well, like in the, in the short term, I mean, that's one of the interesting things about this is, is how good are their remote measurements are going to be? Are they really going to like, are they really going to want to drive people into Apple stores? How many stores will that be? How confident? I think their level of confidence about the quality of the online ordering system will go a long way here, right? Because if they think that the online ordering system is not going to be a great experience, they're going to try to push people into stores. If they think it's good enough, they'll probably only have limited supply in stores and they'll push everybody online, everybody else. And also, if they don't have, say, if they don't have enough of them, they may not have them available in all two hundred or something Apple stores at first, right? Cer- certainly, I think that yeah. that's part of the the story. Is depending on the amount that they've got. One way you can gate that and control that is just have it available in a few stores, and then everything else is online. The only challenge there is you got to be confident that your online ordering process will be good enough. And if it's not, and you really need to get it fit in the store, then you know they're going to have to make that decision. But it, it is a weird thing because they're going to be so limited um, that they, you know, not everybody who wants one of these, even if you think that not very many people are going to want them, the number of people who are going to want them is going to outnumber the number they can make. So they're going to have to figure out a way to handle that. Uh, Mark Gurman has also reported that Apple is indeed testing a 32-inch iMac. It's a story that will never die. Yeah, and and he says it's around 32 inches. So, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe it's 31.9, 32.3, who knows, Mm -hmm. but around 32. So that's the... That's the idea. Very interesting. You know, what is that? And uh, who wants that? And, you know, it's it's a story that goes back to the, you know, original iMac and even before the idea of an all-in-one Mac. The downside of it is that the display is made with the computer and the display will not age as quickly as the computer does. So there's always this concern that it's, you know, the, that iMacs are potentially wasteful because you're you're sort of wasting the display. It would have a longer life without the computer attached to it, and they've got a Mac Mini and a Mac Studio. But what we know from when Apple does revise the iMac is that people like iMacs. They do, and uh, they must think that there's a market for this. I think it's I think it's really interesting because it's a that's a big computer. I don't know. I still think whatever this computer is, it's also tied to a display that they're going to make. That 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 would be my my feeling on this. So if they have a thirty-two so. inch iMac, there'll be some kind of thirty-two inch studio display. Probably. Let's go back to the details. Oh oh yes, we have Let's new we have new betas beta now. Time. Uh, beta three is now out for iOS mm-hmm. seventeen. Uh, I misspoke a couple of weeks ago. This is probably the one that will be the public beta. The public beta, yeah, almost, almost certainly. Unless there's a a late. It's funny because the public beta thing is really, you know, Apple releases a beta that they think will be the public beta, and then they wait and watch just in case. Like, is it? 
Could it? Yeah. Is it? And, the, and my experience in the past has been very much like they wait and watch and you get to that point where they're like, sometimes they're like, oh, it's okay. And they roll it out. And other times they go, mm, there's something in there we don't more. like. <laughs> yeah. And they do another build. And sometimes that's another beta build uh, that is developer and then public. And sometimes it's just that the public beta comes out and it's a slightly different build than the last public or developer beta. There are lots of scenarios here, but it does feel like we're historically we're very close to when they usually release a public beta so beta 3 i think is the odds on favorite to be if not the public beta close to the public beta and as a piece of uh, beta follow-up you are now on everything correct i am now on everything i am i have ipad iphone watch and mac are all on the betas I am living the dream or the nightmare. Uh, it's actually been fine. My biggest problem is the usual, which is that our software that we rely on to do podcasting won't launch on public betas or developer betas, certainly early in the process. And as a result, all the podcasts I do now, all my automations are broken. I have to use my, I'm using my laptop to record this and to talk to you. And then separately, uh, you know, sitting in front of my monitor, it's in a screen sharing window. I, I hate that part of it, but that's, you know, I got to use this stuff so that I can write about it. And that's the yep. I, bottom line. I have people say to me, you should really install it on a production system or not a non-production system. And it's like, I can't, I can't, I, I have to use it. I, I have to use them to write about them because if I'm just doing it on a test system, I'm not using it. Not really. Instead, I'm just kind of walking through um, the features. But you're doing the reverse, right? It's like, there are two machines. Yeah, and, so I I have exactly yeah. I have a, a system that is running uh, release software that I can use. It's just really inconvenient, but yes, it works. But it so works. that's what I've got is I've got a stable. I actually have a stable iPad too. So you know, if something catastrophic happened, I could I could pull back to that. But for the Mac, it's the most important thing, and I just have my uh, MacBook Air is solid. It's just staying on Ventura. No, I said Beta three. Is my time. But mm. I think I might be chickening out, Jason. I haven't done it yet. Why? Why are you chickening out? <sighs> Stephen put it on and he was complaining about battery life on his phone. Mm. And I don't really want to deal with bad battery life on my iPhone. I haven't really noticed issues. Do you think I should do it? Oh, I don't I don't know if I want that amount of guilt if it goes badly if for you. If you tell me I should and it goes bad, I wouldn't blame you. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I feel like you you need to take that step. I haven't had a problem with it. I'll put yeah. it that way. Okay. Uh, the worst problem I had was I had a bug where mail, or not mail, uh, music would crash sometimes. So I ended up, I think it was music would crash, especially if I was attached to a Bluetooth device, but I could play music f- by using the music app on my watch. <laughs> Mm. It just it would work. It was something in the UI, um, but only some of the time. That's that's like about the worst thing that I've I've uh, run into so far. Okay. But I mean, what are you getting out of it? You're going to get some of these new features like the the contact cards and stuff like that. So I'll tell you the things that, that I'm in, that I'm intrigued about. There are okay. a bunch of widgets that I want to try. So from Apple's widgets and also third party widgets that have interactivity in them. Um, right. I, I'm really keen to see what the autocorrect's all about. And to understand yeah, it's good. what that is. It's good. Um, and also the messages features, stickers, um, replies. Well, some of the messages features aren't there yet. Okay. And um, like the interactive, well, I, I have not, I got 
I was able to make a an animated sticker um responding with an emoji I have not been able to do. And what was the other thing? There there's um it it's it's not all there is what yeah, I'm saying. I'm so not some of it, some of it's just not ready yet. Oh, oh, I was going to say your uh interactive widgets not a lot of that yet. And then of course if you have a third party, you're going to have to get a beta that supports the well, Beta, the main right. one that I want, I have. I just, oh, I see. <laughs> I, just, well, I can't use it. I already have the one. The un- really the only one I care the about. Beta, <laughs> in which case you can. Uh, all right, I'm gonna do it right now. I'm gonna do it right now. I I've actually it's kind of cool that you can just do it in settings now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, I have a 17 a developer beta has been checked. Download and install. It's doing it. I'm doing it live. You're doing it live. Well, good luck. Anyway, anybody else there who doesn't want to be on the developer list, uh, hopefully there'll be public beta soon and you can try it out or choose to be patient and wait for the fall. If I do it, I always go developer beta, not public beta. I just, if I'm going to do it, I might as well get. Just go all the way. uh, Yeah, it's like, don't just dip your toe in, go all the way or, you know, or don't do it. Nothing worse than running a beta that you know there's already a new beta and you don't have it. Exactly. Right? I'm kind of like, well, what's the point of doing it? That's how I feel. Yeah. I'm not recommending this to other people. For me, it's like, if I'm going to do it, I want to be like on the the edge. Otherwise, why am I dealing with the frustration? I might as well just wait until September. Three minutes remaining. Mm-hmm. Good luck. This episode is brought to you by FitBod. When you want to change your fitness level, it can be hard to know where to get started. That's why I'm so happy to let you know that FitBod is both an easy and affordable way to build a fitness plan just for you. Everybody has their own fitness path. That's why FitBod uses data to make sure they customize things to suit you exactly. FitBod uses a powerful algorithm that they have developed to learn about you, your goals, and your training ability. FitBod will then create a custom dynamic program based on your experience and any equipment that you have. This is all within an app that makes it incredibly easy to learn how to perform every exercise. Superior results are achieved when a workout program is tailored to your unique body, experience, environment, and goals. Muscles improve when working in concert with the entire muscular system, so overworking muscles while underworking others can negatively impact results. That's why FitBod tracks muscle fatigue and recovery to design a well-balanced workout routine. By mixing up muscle groups, exercises, sets, reps, and weight over time, FitBod serves to increase your overall strength and keep your body sharp. They also keep your gym sessions fresh and fun by mixing up your workouts with new exercises this is something that's super important to me something i always found so frustrating when i tried things like this before is i was doing the same 20 exercises in a row every day and i found that to be quite boring what i love about fitbod is i'm learning new things and it's also varied the FitBot app is incredibly easy to use they have over 1400 hd video tutorials shot from multiple angles to make sure that learning every single exercise is simple. You can keep track of your achievements and personal bests with FitBod's progress tracking charts, and it also integrates with your Apple Watch, Wear OS smartwatch, and apps like Strava, Fitbit, and Apple Health. Personalized training of this quality can be expensive. FitBod is just $12.99 a month or $79.99 a year, but you can get 25% off your membership by signing up at fitbod.me upgrade. So go now and get your customized fitness plan at fitbod.me upgrade. That is fitbod.me upgrade for 25% off your membership. Our thanks to FitBod for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Do you know what's super fun in the summer? In fact, something that 
is more fun than anything else? What? A new social network. <laughs> That's fun, right? Mm. To have a new Summer social network. Fun. Summer of Threads. Uh. That's where we are. It's the Summer of Threads, everybody. Since the last episode, we have gone from there being uh, no Facebook Twitter competitor to there being one. And oh boy, is there one. Uh, I think there yesterday, is one. It does exist. A hundred million users have signed up for Threads by Meta, which is quite an achievement. Um, I think it, what is the fastest app to ever get there? I mean, obviously it makes sense, right? Like if anyone's going to do it, go to the place that has the largest networks and spiral something off. Uh, what is your initial exp- in impressions here? You've you've signed up? Yeah. I mean, you don't. I mean, this is the thing: is that there's like more than a billion Instagram users. Yeah, and you just say, "I'm an Instagram." In fact, I think it even knows. It's like you're already on Instagram, so are you here too? And you go, "Yep," and it goes, "All right." Very easy. It's the only <laughs> way to sign up right now. You have to have an Instagram account. That's the way to do yeah. it right now. Yeah. So, you know, it is. I don't know. I hate that it only has an iPhone app and that there's no web version. I mean, I would like a Mac app, obviously. And if, yep. if they do end up federating with uh, Mastodon, it won't matter. But right now, the, the only way to look at it is to be logged in and they only have an iPhone app. Mm-hmm. And I, my iPhone, as people here know, my iPhone is my third most important Apple device, maybe fourth, uh, depending. <laughs> it's just, you know, and so I'll, I'll read it sometimes on my iPad, but then it's in stupid iPhone compatibility yeah, mode. Yeah, not great. And not ha- so like like Blue Sky. I don't love Blue Sky's app. Blue Sky's app is also an iPhone only app, but Blue Sky has an, a website that you can log into and use. Um, for those who don't know, it's staging, right? Staging.bsky.app. Oh jeez, and it works. <laughs> sounds <laughs> so like you're I supposed use that. to be able to use that. Definitely, definitely. That is their good. that is their their website. So that that I don't like because the truth is that I check into social media on my Mac cuz I work on my Mac all day. And so for me, I I hate that there's only the iPhone app and that mm. you know, of course you can't use an iPhone only app on a Mac and bleh. anyway. Uh so I don't love that. Um it, I don't love the look, they launched they obviously launched it fast cuz they sensed an opportunity when Twitter was having all of its problems last weekend, right? So mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of missing features that I'm sure they'll add, right? Like yep. that they know they're going to add. They they talked about um, supporting federation so that you can follow accounts on threads from Mastodon and vice versa. Um, it doesn't let you control reposts, you know, retweets, which I I posted about this. In fact, I consider that a a stupendously important feature because there are people I follow who are compulsive reposters, retweeters, mm, whatever you mm-hmm, want to call it. Mm-hmm. And I end up seeing in my timeline a bazillion things that I don't care about that are being boosted by this person. And all I really care about is what they have to say. There are other people who will will judiciously po- repost things and it doesn't bother me. But some people, I care about them, but I don't care about the stuff that they think they should pass on. And you know, on some services, you can say, I don't want to see their their reposts. I yeah. only want to see their posts. And uh, Threads doesn't do that yet. And it is a killer because I've had to just unfollow people. It's just like, I can't, I can't even, right? Yep. Um, so that that's an issue. But, you know, and, I, you know, everybody's talking about how, but it's Meta and Meta is a bad company. It's like, yeah, they are. I mean, yeah. 
however, I'll point out that lots of people use Instagram who think meta yeah. is bad, but they uh, use Instagram because they like Instagram. Yeah. Um, and also there, there were some posts that were, uh, again, misinterpreted, I think, willfully by people from the guy who's in charge of Instagram, who basically they said, oh, because um, I think he said something like, we're not going to chase like news traffic. Yeah. Like we're not going to optimize for news traffic. And he actually said something like, because Facebook has made, Meta has made mistakes in the past about dealing with news. And it's like, no kidding, but yeah. good, good that they're aware of it. And they're like, we're not saying you can't post news, which people were saying that they were saying. That's not what they were saying. They were saying, we're not going to optimize our service to boost news and to promote news and to make it like, we're not going to do that I'm because we say, did that in Mike the past Hurley and it was a bad idea. That's great. Mike Hurley says <laughs> yeah. that's great because the worst thing about Twitter is it was all news all the time, whether you wanted it or not. Yeah. And like, it was too much. Not everybody which, wants that. Which I will also say, and this is a little bit like me saying like not Apple doesn't have to make a Mac to serve every audience. We are entering an era. If we have entered an era not every social media product needs to serve yes. every vertical of everything. Like we are entering an era. I feel like what, what Meta is saying with threads, what Instagram is saying with threads is essentially, you know, there'll be new stuff on it, but we're not focused on making it a news thing. And maybe where we end up is that's what is remaining of Twitter is it's it's much more newsy and news source because news Twitter cares about it yeah. and Thread doesn't Threads doesn't care about it uh, and maybe not but like I, I'm okay with I'm okay with Meta of all companies saying we're not gonna really invest in a lot of news algorithms for it's like not I mean, it's realistically, okay good like, you know I think there are a million things for this obviously Meta as a company has a not great relationship with news organizations for many reasons in both many. directions right like yeah. news organizations don't like Meta Meta doesn't like news organizations governments don't like when <laughs> Meta deals yeah. with news they make them pay yeah. right like it's like a whole like why, thing why would you why don't, would you even go yeah. down that route and I, I would argue even though yes Meta is the owner of Instagram Instagram is you know Instagram has its own sensibility it is ultimately yes. the same company but it does have its own sensibility that Facebook doesn't have and I think Threads is coming because like there's a reason it's attached to Instagram it's not attached to Facebook they want it to be kind of a child product from Instagram I think it brings that approach which is a little bit of a different approach now also I saw a lot of people complaining about the fact that it has an algorithmic timeline um Masari has said that um they they absolutely want to have both kinds of timelines, but again, they launch with one. Um, but what I did learn is the same lesson I learned on Instagram, and I hate it, but this is the lesson you learn on Instagram, which is if you if you haven't read all the posts that you currently have, mm -hmm. don't reload. Because the act of reloading tells it that you want to see something new. And that's, for me, on threads, that's when my list goes from being mostly goes people to I madness. follow <laughs> to being random crap. Here's it's because memes. Oh, God, it's because, stop. and it's their yeah. fault, but it's their fault because they built it this way. But but when you hit that reload thing if at the top, if you pull to refresh, what you're telling it is, I'm done with this timeline. Give me a whole new timeline. And that's going to be 
an algorithmic nonsense generator, right? Like, but if you're very careful and it's like, don't, don't do it. Just very gently scroll down. Don't reload. I think that the timeline is okay. Um, but yeah, obviously there should be, uh, there should be a, a non-algorithmic timeline yeah. option as well. And they've said that they will do it. So like, I don't know. I mean, on one, on one level, I think it's okay that this product exists because if you're, if you're an idealist and you're like, well, I, these are both run by, uh, and you know, blue sky too is kind of problematic. Like, okay. Mastodon is for me. It's like, okay, like that's fine. A lot of my people are on Mastodon. I find Mastodon the most fulfilling of all of the social media sites that are out there right now. But if you're a Twitter person who's getting increasingly unhappy with how unstable and weird Twitter is getting, I think we it's gotten to the point, in my opinion, where jumping from Twitter to Instagram while choosing between the lesser of two evils, let's be clear, I think it's the lesser of two evils. So, eh, okay. I mean, it's, it's, it's fine. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to keep up with multiple social media timelines. I hate it. I'm really hoping that we get to the point where um, I can see people who are on threads from Ivory. Um, and there's a there's that um, blue sky thing that sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but it's a blue sky bridge for, for, uh, for Mastodon, for the Fediverse. I would love that. I hate that blue sky, which is kind of interesting just decided they're going to do their own thing and be in their own silo. And I, I, I wonder if, uh, if threads goes really well, if they're going to have to like backtrack on that. I think blue sky's over. Like, I know that's going to upset, but blue Blue sky's done. Like there's only space for one, right? Like there really is. I think, I think you're probably right. I think most people are not going to check five timelines. Right. And so unless blue sky has carved out a niche that works for, for a particular audience, right? Like, I think it's okay if Mastodon, look, if threads became dominant, Twitter faded away, Blue Sky faded away, all the others faded away, and Mastodon remained where all my tech people are, I'd be okay with that, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I think that would be fine. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, this is meta going for the jugular, right? That's what this is. This is, we're going to launch this like, thing so fast because we are so going satisfying. to kill Twitter. Yeah, it feels, feels so satisfying to Don't me. Don't forget, that Instagram built its social graph on Twitter, right? Yeah. You linked your Twitter account. It yeah. pulled over all your follows. And now they've, they years passed, they t- cut off, they cut them off very quickly because they realized what was happening. And now they are just taking the Instagram social graph and turning it into a new Twitter. Yep. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. I'm Thanks. very excited about threads. Like, I love Instagram. It's my favorite social network and has been for a long time. Uh, I like the vibes of Instagram and I'm hoping that those vibes will be able to carry over to, to a text-based social network. It's not going to be perfect, but I'm hoping it will be less like Twitter, to be honest. Like I, I, I have right. liked that Mastodon doesn't feel like Twitter to me either. And I think that the, all of that's good. Right. Um, I am excited about the possibility of the um like them supporting activity pub and maybe that means that we can have some different experiences and still read all the timelines that we want to read and like i know there's a lot of conjecture about all of this stuff i'm just choosing to believe what they're saying because they're saying it so i will just believe it unless it changes right like there's a lot of people like oh you can't trust them they're not gonna do it but they're saying they're gonna do it so if they're telling you they're gonna do it just believe them and if they don't do it then you can say ah. Oh, you lied, 
right? Like, this is a great interview right. on a podcast that I like called Hard Fork, which is uh, Kevin Roos and Casey Newton, the platformer. Um, they had Adam Mossieri on the show, and he was talking very earnestly about why they want to support Activity Pub. Now, I think the fact that they've got 100 million users in four days is going to make this significantly more complicated. But I don't mm-hmm. think that that's changed their plan personally. It saves them a lot, right? This is the brilliant thing, and this is what he said in that interview, is yeah. it's different if you own everything versus if you you have these release valves. Yeah. So they can say, like, if you don't like our policies about whatever, it's fine. You can go somewhere else. Yep. And it's all interconnected. And, like... That's the part that I think people miss when they're like, oh, they're never going to do it. Like, maybe, maybe they're lying or whatever. But I think what, what they're trying to do is find a way to make the fact that they're federated with other social services serve them. Not that they're trying to take them over, but because it, it means they don't have to control the entire it's widget. Also, so and that, look, and that, they have 100 million users. They know probably 99 million, we'll say, using the Threads app. They have like a million people that then might use threads in a federated app or whatever. But then what it does is it allows them with legislators to say, hey, we're open. I don't know what you're talking about. Right? Like, and it, there's nothing but benefit for them. Exactly. We're, we're using open standards. It doesn't, people don't have to be here. Yeah. No, we've, this is one of those areas. It's funny because on um, downstream, Julia and I talk about how the whole streaming era flipped from, everything has to be on our service that we own to being Mm -hmm. like, oh, no, 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 let's sell our stuff to other people and for money because we also like money. That's a little bit of what I think is going on here, which is these monolithic standardized services where it's like you can only be in our app, you can only be on our website. There are advantages to that in terms of your power and control. There are also disadvantages to that. And I feel like, I almost feel like Threads is a good example of Meta showing that it has learned about learned from all the things it did that burned that burned it mm-hmm. uh, or at least some of the things that it did that burned it and trying to do this in a different way in order to and and sure i mean from their perspective yeah in the end they're going to want to make money on ads and they're going to in you know i i get that it's meta and ads and data and things like that it's their business. but i but i think they yeah that they're going to approach this from a standpoint of like we actually don't want this to be a completely monolithic thing because it, I mean, you talk about like being criticized. If you, I was saying this about the app store a while ago, that one of the advantages of uh, if side loading becomes a thing on iOS is it actually makes Apple running the app store a lot easier for Apple because right now an app store rejection is the kiss of death for that code. It literally can't go anywhere else. But if they have a side loading option, Apple can just say, well, you know, we don't want it, but you can just you know, just sell it yourself. We don't care. We're not going to put it in our store, but it's okay. We're not destroying your product. We're just saying it, it doesn't fit in our retail store, essentially. And there's a little bit of that with the Fediverse, right? There's a little bit of that saying, look, we're not the only game in town. We're the biggest game, but we're not the only game in town. We interoperate. If you don't like what we're doing, but you still want to follow this news service that is on our platform, you can follow it from somewhere else. It's fine. And 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 they're like they're okay with the level of like not controlling everything because it gets them some other benefits in saying we're not the whole thing. We're just a big mm-hmm. player. I think whether that it's true or not. Threads is like part of a 
Facebook's trying to adapt its public image. You know, like mm-hmm. they've done all For the sure. things that they've done. They've taken the beatings that they've taken you know both in the press or for whatever it might be and they've set a new landscape for themselves that they now have to try and fit within like look at the you know the fact this thing can't launch in europe because they're saying they need to do a bunch of work to make that happen like they're deciding it seems like to not just charge in right right um and i think that people have in general i think people have good vibes about this and bad vibes about their competitors, like more bad vibes, right, about Twitter than this. And I think that they are taking this as an opportunity to be like, hey, people like us right now. Why don't we try and just like carry on going down that route, you know? Like, and so I'd be intrigued to see how this ends up turning out. As a a long-time big proponent fan of Instagram, I am happy that this thing exists. It makes sense for me. Personally, it makes sense for my businesses, I think, to like look at this as like, you know, you have this, it's kind of like one network with two sides, which I think is really cool, right? That like mm-hmm. you have a lot of Instagram followers, you might then get more threads followers and like vice versa. And then it's like one handle and it's like these both places, which I think just makes sense to me. And I, I actually really like that it's its own thing, but there's still that link there. So people can choose to get one or the other or both if they want to. Like, I think that this is cool. I'm excited about it. And I'm. And it also feels fun to see this thing growing and evolving in front of our eyes. Like that they did kind of launch it in a half-baked state. And now we're going to mm-hmm. get to see how they adapt it. I think this, I think this is fun. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy that it exists because there are a lot of people who I followed on Twitter that were never coming to Mastodon, but they're on, th- they're on threads and they're posting on threads. And I'm, that makes me happy. Because yeah. there, are, there are people that I want that content from. I want to see them. And I have missed them for months now. And now they're back in my life again. And I think that's fun. Mm. This episode is supported by Upgrade Plus and the people that support us with Upgrade Plus. If you enjoy this show and want to hear more of it, please consider subscribing to Upgrade Plus. You will get no ads and bonus content every week. You get access to the Relay FM members Discord. It's just $5 a month or $50 a year. Go to getupgradeplus.com and that money will help support this show. Supports us. We're very thankful for it. But you get extra content each and every week. I will say last week's Upgrade Plus, we mentioned it earlier on, was a <laughs> classic. I It was so fantastic. Jason surprised me by giving me the US citizenship test. It was brilliant. I if you <laughs> if you've been maybe wanting to try like hey what can this be like sometimes? This is a really good episode to try upgrade plus on. You can if you want to go try it go try it. It's $5, right? You can sign up, you can cancel, but I guarantee you'd get a month, you'll get a bunch of episodes then, you'll be able to see why upgrade plus is a great deal. It's just $5 a month and you could get more content, no ads and support the show. It is time for Ask Upgrade. We have questions from Upgradians, as we always do. Nice. Starts with Jorgen, who asks, with the iPhone 15 switching to USB-C, according to the rumors, what do you think would happen to the SE? Will that simply see no change until a new model is perhaps released sometime in the future? Yeah, I think that's it. 
Um, if you're worried about like EU regulations, they're for new phones, not for yes. existing models. So existing models will be untouched and the SE will be untouched. And I expect that they'll probably update the SE to USB-C the next time they update it. Yeah. Because I think this is something that people are going to miss, right? Like it's new phones and the SE is not a new phone. And so it can just consist phone. out there. It can just exist out there in the ether. Apple will probably want to change it. Sure. Sure. But the yeah, so the old phones, because Apple still sells old phones, they'll still be there Yeah, with Lightning. Uh, the, but the new phones will have USB-C. And yep. the SE, I assume, will come along. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to sell it in Europe after they update it. Brianna asks, I don't have a Mac, but I've been thinking about getting one for a couple of years. I've been watching the refurbished market on Apple's website, and the price range of my ideal setup would be around $3,000. I'm in Canada, but I wondered if you could see the Vision Pro replacing your Macs completely, or at least personal usage. I think Brianna's trying to gauge from us as to whether they should wait or not. Um, I can't see the Vision Pro replacing my Macs completely yeah. at all because the Mac is a key part of my workflow. And you have to it, it doesn't run Mac software. You can screen share a Mac on it, but you have to have a Mac. So could could the Vision Pro replace the Mac completely for somebody like us down the road? Maybe eventually, but no time soon. I don't know if it could do it. Like, Because oh, there's just going to be types of apps that I don't expect to exist, right? Like, yeah. Audio Hijack is... I don't imagine it existing on the Vision Pro. Who knows? Maybe, <laughs> honestly, maybe Vision OS is the thing that makes them fully like unlock the power of iOS, right? Like maybe this is the one, but I I I don't right. I don't feel it right now in a way that I think I could tell you yes. Honestly, I think the more likely scenario is that in a version or two the Vision Pro will just run a VM of macOS. And you won't need the com the physical computer to screen share, it'll just run it in a in a virtual machine. Um at which point you could put whatever you wanted in there cuz it's just a Mac but it would be in the box of the virtual machine of Mac OS. I think that's the most likely scenario is that. Because um, I, I do think the rest of the apps will be locked down, but you could potentially do that. But it's going to be years. It's going to be years. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's just not. If you could do all of your work on an iPhone and on an iPad, you could probably do it on this. But uh, I've tried that and I can't really do it. And so I think this is going to be a nice companion to the Mac potentially, but um, it's going to be a long time before you can just say, I'm not going to spend on a Mac. I'm just going to get a Vision Pro instead. It's going to be a while. Yeah, I, I don't... It makes me sad, but I don't envision it, you know? I, I will replace... I could replace a lot of my work, like similar to what I did for many years with the iPad, right? Like, there's a bunch of things I could do on here that would be very comfortable and nice to do. I'm sure there'll be a bunch of experiences which will be even better than any other device that I have, right? I'm very con convinced of that. And so I will maybe prefer to use my Vision Pro over those, but it couldn't be a whole replacement. Like, Brianna, if you're saying, like, I have a PC and I want another PC, but I maybe want it to be a Mac now instead of Windows, yeah, that's probably what you should go for. I, I don't think that you would be able to replace maybe like a Windows laptop or a Linux laptop that you have with the Vision Pro and be satisfied completely. 
By the way, refurbished Macs are a great way to get a deal on a Mac. And yep. I have bought multiple refurbished Macs over the years. And uh, they're good because you get the whole warranty and everything. And really, generally what it is is somebody bought a Mac and then returned it because they decided they didn't want it. And they might not have even powered it on. Or if they did, they, you know, they plug, it, they're plug. they generally very safe and Apple supports them. So if something is bad about them, they'll just replace it. Yep. So I, I definitely recommend looking for refurbished um, Macs and other Apple products on Apple's website. Yeah, it's like it's like all of these things. It's not going to be the best deal you can get, but you'll be taken care of if there's a problem. Right. Hank asks, when is Apple going to make Apple Silicon chips that do not prioritize energy efficiency? Power per watt is not as important for desktop users, and could this push the graphics performance beyond what is capable from dedicated cards? Boy, um... I don't want to say never, but like almost never is what my answer is. This philosophically is what Apple's chip organization is all about. And what are, okay, what's the most important product Apple sells? It's the iPhone. iPhone. Power is always going to be prioritized there because of battery life. What's the next important product Apple makes? I don't know. Maybe it's the Mac. Maybe it's the iPad. But uh, what Mac model is it? Well, somewhere two-thirds to three-quarters, probably three-quarters of all Macs sold are laptops. What matters there? Yeah, battery life matters. Power to energy, um, it matters. The iPad, it matters. The Apple Watch, it matters. The only place that it doesn't matter is in this thin sliver of Macs that are plugged in all the time. Uh, and, And so you're talking about a fraction of a fraction of Apple's business. It's never going to be a priority, which doesn't mean that they won't try to do things. They have already tried to do things to um, make good higher end Mac models, but they are happy to use the power per watt, you know, standard that they've been building toward because it does end up making great laptops and other powerful computers. And as long as they can do that, they're they're not going to change their philosophy just to serve certain um, tiny portions of the market. I just... Uh, you know, uh, it will take a very different environment for Apple's chip design group and Apple's shape of Apple's business mm. for them to um, stop doing what they're doing. It's priorities, man. That's just all it is, right? And like Apple's priorities are the chips that rely on batteries. Yeah, you, you're not going to believe this in amid all the Mac Pro discourse, but let me tell you, Mac OS not having enough GPU performance is not an issue anyone to a small degree of error cares about. It's just not. In fact, when you talk to Apple execs, like at the talk show, they were talking about this at WWC when Gruber was interviewing Apple executives. Like they're much more interested in the fact that their whole Mac line now has a decent has decent GPUs in them so that you can play games, games even on yeah. Uh, on an M1 MacBook Air, you can play games and the graphics performance is vastly better than back in the day when the only Macs that could play games at all were high-end Pro Macs. That's not true anymore. That's what they care about. And if you're if you're thinking about how can they push it super high at the high end, I don't think they care. And I honestly, from a business perspective, I don't think they should. I think they got it right. And I know there are follow-on effects from that, and it makes people in certain areas grumpy. But like, this is this is how they got here, and this is how they remain here is following this approach. So unless something dramatic happens that requires them to change their approach for some reason, they're still going to do this. And then yeah, throw in the Vision Pro. Guess what? Power matters there too. So 
Like most, all of Apple's most important products, let me put it this way, have a battery in them. So, yep, here we are. You can get a lot of podcasts that have a focus on Apple and the Mac. You can find many of them. This one agrees with this stance. Other ones <laughs> might not. This podcast is 100% agreement that Apple's going down the right path. Look, I already I already came briefly from my good friend John Syracuse in this episode. Yeah. I don't want to go there again. I just look. Oh, there. I'm, I'm not just talking about. AT, I'm talking about. I know. Oh, podcasts. I know. I'm just saying. I know. There like, are lots you know, of podcasts out there. If you're out there and you're like, oh man, I've been looking for someone who would agree with with Apple. This is the one. And if you're this out there the and you're like, for you. I can't stand that you two agree. I can tell you, there's a bunch of shows that are out there for you, and they're going to be able to provide you what you need. But we are very much like this is not a problem. <laughs> I have a lot of empathy for people who feel like Apple's not giving them what they want, but we've all if been you look, there. And we've all been there. But if you look at the grand sweep of Apple's business, um, it hurts. It hurts when Apple isn't that into you, <laughs> but it happens, and it's not Apple's. I mean, like, hey, Apple, I know your philosophy is taking you to this. You're the, you're the first what three trillion or trillion dollar valuation company, $1 trillion or whatever it is, some enormous amount. But, you know, it all comes from that philosophy that they've built around these mobile products. They're essentially a mobile product company and they're not going to change that. They're just, right? They're just not. This is the question I've always had about the sort of like, could they uncouple RAM and GPUs from the processors? And like, I think the answer is no. Not that they couldn't do it. They could try it, but it would require them to to basically ditch their whole philosophy of all the chips they make that are a huge advantage for them. So why would you ever spend the time on that when you could just keep doing what you're doing and have some pretty good computers, including the bulk of the Macs that you sell? Yeah. But I'll look, I'll just say, I like the poke fun. I am the same as you. I understand that it's like, it's frustrating when you feel like you're underserved, right? No, it's, like it's terrible. I've been there with the I, iPad, you yeah. know? And oh, uh, various creative professional markets that Apple yep. has basically turned their backs on because yeah. it, they didn't fit with their priorities. And I get it. I mean, I get the frustration. I've been in those markets. I've seen those professionals be frustrated. Like, I totally get it. The frustration you feel is real. The frustration that people uh, have about this, like, I get it. But I also look at what Apple is like. It's not it's not Apple's duty to serve all markets. And they made a choice a long time ago about their chip design and the choice to go to Apple Silicon, all the benefits that we reap as Mac users from that choice, this is the other part of it, which is they're not going to stop prioritizing energy efficiency. And that's the thing, right? When Apple was not serving the Mac Pro, but was also not serving any Mac, right? Go back to the trash can, right? <laughs> then. Okay, that was bad. We have a problem, and you could look at the Mac Pro as like a beacon of the problem, right? Like you went too far, right, with the trash can. You thought you were going to be super cool, and you put all this engineering into the fact that the lights turned on when you turned it around. You know what I mean, right? Which is just like realistically was not a thing that anybody could do because as soon as you turn the computer around, all the ports pop popped out. And I will say this as someone that you may not, you may have forgotten. I owned one of those. I had a trash can Mac Pro. This is a part of my history that I like to forget. Because that thing, do you remember the problems it used to cause us, Jason? Yeah. When we'd be recording Upgrade, and my Mac just crash. would just would just crash completely. Gone. You'd be and, gone. Yeah. And, I, and we would have to do things to try and recover my audio 
Like it was mm-hmm. a nightmare for months because I thought I would get a Mac and I would have it for years and years and years and years and it would be awesome, it'd be powerful. I'd get speed because at that time I think I think I may have still been working wow. at the bank, so I was like trying to like uh, you know we I we did launched not relay have on Mike the Mac comes Pro. from the tr- I did not have Mike comes for the trash can on my bingo card today, but <laughs> so yeah, to I'm come here for back it. around to what I was saying. Oh, okay, back then the Mac Pro was a beacon of what was wrong, right? And then mm-hmm. all the Macs were bad. The laptops were bad. The iMac, everything was bad. But now, with a Mac Pro that is maybe underserving the people that want it, that's happening because every other Mac is the best it has ever been. All of them. All of yeah. them and, are. And from a market share perspective, Apple is, I think, actually almost gleeful. I mean, and they're probably a little diluted because they talk about game stuff and we know about Apple's history with game stuff. But I think what you can read into their glee about like every Mac can play games now. What they're really sort of saying there or revealing there is Apple thinks that it is so competitive with the MacBook Air, essentially. And even more so now that there's a 15-inch model. So competitive that they have a real opportunity to gain market share. And market share gains are going to happen with the MacBook Air. Market share gains are because it's the biggest, it's the biggest market. Consumer general use laptop that costs a thousand bucks is an enormous market. So if they're ever going to prioritize anything, it's going to be to areas where they have enormous market share gain possible because they're going to, you know, if they could increase their, their user base and, and they are, I mean, they're, I think they're more Mac users now than ever. Um, that that's where they're going to find the success. So they're going to they're going to lean that way anyway. And and that that stinks. It, I've heard people say this is just you know it's leading to a place where Apple doesn't care about uh, high end users. They only care about low end users. It's like well, I think that's mis- a misstatement in the sense. So I'm I'm strawmanning it a little bit here, in the sense that. 16-inch MacBook Pro is a very powerful, impressive system, right? It's not like they've turned their back. They created the Mac Studio. Yes. If that's not enough for you, there are certain markets above uh, above that where Apple's priorities seem misaligned. But but Apple's Apple's game is good enough that it even reaches, which was a mystery before Apple Silicon, it even reaches to that level what we now see for the M2 MacBook Pro, where it's like, that's pretty good. Even just scaling Apple's existing philosophy from iPhone chips to the MacBook Pro, it gets there. It doesn't get much beyond there, but it gets there. But yeah, if Apple has to turn their back on certain use cases up at the high end in order to fulfill its, you know, the Mac success everywhere else, it will make that choice. And you are right to decry it. And I, we're not all piling this on Hank. There's a lot of people saying this. Sorry, mm-hmm. Hank. Uh, but it is... You know, they're making, I think, good decisions that are make the Mac better than it ever was before. And the tough part about it is those decisions fundamentally leave out some people because of the choices they've made. But yes. the net result is success. So it sucks if you're on the outside looking in, but I don't I don't anticipate them changing their strategy at all because it's working and it's working incredibly well for them. If you would like to send us in your questions for a future episode of the show, or if you have follow-up or feedback, go to UpgradeFeedback.com. 
Until next time, you can check out Jason's work over at sixcolors.com and hear his podcasts at theincomparable.com and here on Relay FM. You can listen to my shows here on Relay FM too and check out my work at cortexbrand.com. You can find us on Mastodon and Threads. Jason is at oh. jsnell. J-S-N-E-L-L, and I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. You can also find the show on Mastodon. We are uh, at Upgrade on RelayFM.social, where you'll be able to find video clips of the show along with on TikTok and Instagram, where we are at Upgrade Relay on both. Thank you to our members who support us of Upgrade Plus. Thank you to ExpressVPN and FitPod for their support of this episode. And most of all, thank you for listening. We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snow. Goodbye, Mike Hurley. <laughs> <laughs>